everyone, and welcome to the Hagiostos. My name is Bill. So, I have to apologize. Uh, last night, as I was getting ready to upload uh, today's episode, I had noticed that we had never recorded it. I had written the transcript a long time ago, and we have recorded probably weeks' works of material, but for some reason, we just skipped St. George for some reason. And I thought to myself, we can't just... We can't spin out on day two. That would be nuts. So I am actually recording today on April 23rd. And yes, today we commemorate St. George, the great martyr. So you'll remember that yesterday's saint, um, St. Theodore, he had a great devotion to St. George and had many apparitions from St. George throughout his life. Um, So today, it's interesting that today is actually St. George's day. Um, And tomorrow, tomorrow's saint will also have a great devotion to the great martyr George. So let's talk about his life. St. George was born in Cappadocia in the 3rd century. His parents gave George a Christian upbringing, educating George in the piety he would win heaven with. George was, when, when George was of age, he became a soldier and elevated through the ranks of the Roman military. In the year 303, the Emperor Diocletian would issue an edict, an edict aimed at violently suppressing the Christians of the empire. In Eusebius's ecclesial history, he recounts the following. It was in the 13th year of the reign of Diocletian and the month of Distress, called by the Romans March, in which the festival of our Savior's Passion was at hand, when the imperial edicts were everywhere published to tear down the churches to their foundations and to destroy the sacred scriptures by fire. They commanded also that those who were in honorable station should be degraded and those who were freedmen should be deprived of their liberty if they preserved in the adherence to Christianity. The first edict against us was of this nature, but it was not long before other edicts were also issued, in which it was ordered that all of the prelates in each place should be first committed to prison, and then, by every artifice, constrained to offer sacrifice to the gods." Eusebius's history claims that the underlying spiritual reality of the persecution was due to the lethargy of the Christian people in their piety. Also citing that the first of the Christians to experience the the persecution were those installed in the military. St. George refused to partake in the persecution. George was traveling through by the city of Selene in Libya. Selene was home to a great monstrosity, a dragon, one which sprang out of the nearby lake and devoured innocents. The pagan city devised a system to appease the monster. Rather than have the hungry dragon run amok, they would feed it willingly, forcing their children down to the water to be eaten. The townspeople would cast lots in order to decide whose precious child shall be sacrificed next. As George was passing by Selene, he noticed a beautiful woman, dressed so elegantly he swore it could have been her wedding day. However, George noticed she was weeping. Such an odd sight, a young, a beautiful young woman being escorted away from the village of Selene while crying. George approached her to inquire. 
What he was about to learn was that she was selected to be sacrificed to the dragon. And not only that, she was the daughter of the King of Selene. The king had tried to give away everything he owned to reverse the outcome of the lottery system, but it was to no avail. Go your way, fair young man, lest you perish as well, the young girl warned George. Tell me, why are you weeping? George persisted. She then told him of the dragon and the lottery of sacrifice. It was at that moment the dragon appeared and sprang to devour them both. Mounted, St. George drew his sword, made the sign of the cross towards the beast, and plunged his sword directly into him. This created an opportunity. George instructed the woman, tie your belt around the dragon's neck and be not afraid. Rather than the young girl being led to her doom, the dragon, defeated and wounded, was being led to the village to meet his end. The townspeople gasped in fear at the sight. George said to them, Doubt not, believe in God and Jesus Christ, and be baptized, and I shall slay the dragon. Fifteen thousand people were promptly baptized into the faith, and the dragon was slayed. To quote the golden legend, the king offered to St. George as much money as he could count, but he refused it, asking instead that it be given to the poor for God's sake. Then he made four requests of this king, and that he, the king, should have charge of the churches, that he should honor the priests, that he should hear their service diligently, and that he should have pity on the poor people. Then St. George took leave of the king and departed. At the beginning of this persecution, many Christians meant their end at the hands of the Roman state. It was for this reason that George abandoned the military, sold his belongings, passing the proceeds on to the poor. Shortly after, George was arrested for decrying the pagan religion as demonic, stating that the only true God was Christ. By the first night of his imprisonment, George had been pummeled with iron rods. However, he was comforted that evening when Christ himself appeared to George to console him. The next day, he was forced to drink poison, each time with greater dosage. Each time, he signed himself with the sign of the cross, and each time, he remained unharmed. The sorcerer who had been mixing George's fatal cocktails was left dumbfounded and himself converted to Christianity. Promptly, he was decapitated. When the provost subjected George to other means of torture, those efforts also backfired. The Golden Legend explains, The provost had St. George placed between two wheels, mounted with swords, but the wheels broke, and St. George remained unharmed. Then the provost had him thrown into a cauldron filled with molten lead, but St. George sat there comfortably, as if he were in a warm bath. End quote. The provost demanded that George renounce his faith in Christ for the true gods of the state. If he made sacrifices to them, it would probably be to his benefit. What probably shocked and excited the provost most was George's reply. He said, Why did you not say so earlier? I am ready to do as you request. Tickled, the provost gathered an audience for what he believed to be the breaking of George. At that moment, George piously bowed his head in prayer and, remaining steadfast to his claim that the Roman gods were nothing but devils, and he called upon the power of heaven to obliterate the pagan temple. 
flames fell from heaven upon the temple. In a moment, everything that supported the worship of the false gods was engulfed in fire. The earth opened up and swallowed the remains. Forced to recognize the power of the true God, the wife of the provost converted. She shamed her husband for his campaign against them. She then died, worshiping Christ, having accepted her salvation. The following morning, George was beheaded, receiving his martyr's crown in heaven. Fire then again rained down from the sky, burnt up the provost, condemning him to eternal hellfire, receiving also his rightful due. In an 11th century homily given on the feast of St. George, Peter Damien says the following, St. George was a man who abandoned one army for another. He gave up the rank of tribune to enlist as a soldier for Christ. Eager to encounter the enemy, he first stripped away his worldly wealth by giving all that he had to the poor. Then, free and unencumbered, bearing the shield of faith, he plunged into the thick of the battle, an ardent soldier for Christ. So this is today's tropar. God raised you as his own gardener, O George, for you had gathered for yourself the sheaves of virtue. Having sown in tears, you now reap with joy. You shed your blood in combat and won Christ as your crown. Through your intercessions, forgiveness of sins is granted to all. I'm Bill, and this has been your Daily Dose of Agios. St. George the Great Martyr, pray for us.